Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. Um, This morning, we are excited that we have an accountant with us this morning to talk about what audits are all about and what accountant can do. You know, we have a a chart. It's sort of the organization chart of a cooperative or of a business. And then the cooperative at the top of the chart, the people with the most power are the members because the members vote for the board of directors. And they have a say in what the board does. They have a say in creating the policies. And then the board will hire managers. And then those managers will hire staff and they will work with vendors and hire vendors. But the board also hires the attorney for the cooperative and they hire an accountant to do the audit. So the auditor reports into the board and the board signs the engagement letter with the auditor. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Vernon. And did I say that all right? Did I get that straight? Yes, and you know, I am so happy. It's hardly ever the case that anyone uses the words accountant and excited in the same sentence. So I was so happy (laughs) to hear that. (laughs) Well, that's becoming an appreciation over time because I did not used to think that accountants provided a lot of value and they just came in and told you what you did wrong. But I've since learned in working with a number of accountants, in particular with your firm also, that you all can really, really help the board and management improve on what we do. Yeah, that's um, one of the big reasons that I'm in the whole accounting profession is um, to try to help people. And before I really got into accounting and had it be a profession, my profession in my career, I myself didn't really get what accountants do for much of the time. And I, I too, would have thought that they mostly did activities that were pretty boring and mundane and not particularly uh, helpful or empowering, but... It actually is a good part of my career, and, and I think that uh, most accountants who are um, really you know, into the profession would agree that uh, helping people and helping organizations and helping co-ops for people like me who do co-op accounting, um, that's, that's all a huge uh, positive part of, of why I'm in the game and um, why I'm uh, passionate about what I do. So let's talk about that. How did you get into this game? And what, let's go with all the way back to college. What did you major in in college? And oh, uh, yeah. You really have to go all the way back there to get the, the story of how I became involved in co-op accounting. When I was in college, um, I was um, – my major at the University of Wisconsin was biochemistry. Okay, I can see the connection between biochemistry and accounting. But no, I can't see that connection. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. To remember. Well, they, they they both involve a, a lot of uh, uh, mathematical calculations. That's, okay. Maybe that's the one and only um, um, connection. But I was studying biochemistry. And at the time, um, when I started my, my junior year in college, I moved into a housing co-op in Madison. It was a wonderful co-op called um, Lothlorien in Madison, and I was loving my co-op life and doing my studies in biochemistry, 
And then I got elected to the board of directors of the cooperative organization of so, which Lothlorian Co-op was a member. It's called Madison Community Co-op. Okay, hold on a second. So I was hold serving on the board of Madison Community Co-op. Brian, hold and, a second for Brian. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people out there, I've had people from NASCO, the North American Student Association of Co-ops and so forth. But a lot of people may not know what a student housing co-op is. So can oh, I yeah. get to that, that interject what that is? What yeah, is that? That, that, thank you, Vernon. Uh, housing co-op is when the, the the individuals living in a particular housing unit or, or house or housing complex, they collectively own the organization that owns the real estate. So the students own this real estate? Yes, they do. Oh. They they would own the, the they are the owners of the organization that owns the properties, and so they are their own landlords, is the basic way a housing co-op works. And if you're um, a young person, you know, a college age, that's really one of the um, only ways that most people of that age group are able to have any form of home ownership is to join a housing co-op and collectively own your home together. So you're so an undergrad, I was in. you're undergrad, a junior, so as a junior, yeah. you're 19, 20 years old. That's right. That's what I was. And you I have see. the responsibility of, with, with your other students, you have the responsibility of running this house or this multifamily uh, project building. Okay. Yep. Good. All right. So now you get elected to the board. So you've got the members. When I talked that organization chart, the other members, the other students have elected you to the board. Go. That is right. Okay. So I am on the board of directors of this um, organization that owns the my house, Lothlorian, and a few other um, housing co-ops in Madison. And um, I really enjoyed um, that uh, board service. As a matter of fact, the more I got into it, the more I realized that I enjoyed this um, housing co-op governance more than I enjoyed my studies of uh, biochemistry, which was the official reason I was um, in college in the first place. <laughs> so where you laid your head and slept, you enjoyed it more than managing of that than your studies. Okay, I got it. it was, okay. And it wasn't even close. Okay. It wasn't even close. Okay. It was. It was very clear that um, that my passion lied in, um, well, working, helping serve my co-op rather than my official academic pursuits. All right. And so um, I, um, the more, the closer I got to graduating, the more I realized that biochemistry just wasn't my cup of tea. It just wasn't really what I wanted to do as a career. And so after I graduated with that degree, I did get that undergraduate degree. Yes, smart. Um, okay. I, I have that uh, <laughs> nice uh, piece of paper that said I, um, at one point in my life, um, had sufficient biochemistry credentials to have an undergraduate degree in that. Mm -hmm. And then I started to go to business school at University of Wisconsin to um, obtain um, you know, business skills, and it wasn't necessarily to serve co-ops specifically in the long term. It was generally so that I could serve co-ops or um, nonprofits and maybe other small businesses that had a good uh, socially conscious um, uh, message and mission. And so I got my business school degree, and then lo and behold – the the same housing co-op that I had been living at as an undergraduate, they had a staff opening. Their financial manager was leaving the organization, and the, the housing co-op needed a new financial manager. And I applied and got that job and became the financial coordinator for Madison Community Cooperative. And I did that job for nine years and um, worked with the, the board of directors and the membership. And um, that, was a, um, that was a great experience. 
So to make me clear up for me, did you get a master's in business administration or you went back on another undergraduate degree? I got a master's in business. It's, it's, tech, it's technically what I got was technically not an MBA. It's just a master's in business. And, and uh, but yes, I do have a master's degree. Did, was that a focus in accounting or just general business? Um, it was uh, just general business. Got it. And that's a good point because at the at the time, even though I got this uh, business degree, I didn't really know that I wanted to drift into the accounting role in particular. At that time, I did not really think of myself as an accountant. I thought of myself as more of a business uh, generalist. Mm-hmm. So I, I worked for the co-op as their financial coordinator, and one of the um, aspects that I really enjoyed doing, the most of all, was to uh, help educate um, the members of the board in financial matters. And, um, you know, because and, and, as we mentioned, this is a um, co-op, a housing co-op, of predominantly um, young people, people uh, college age, and people of that age um, generally don't have a whole lot of financial skills or financial sophistication. So I really um, took it upon myself to do a lot of uh, financial education to the board and the um, individuals at each of the individual houses who were responsible for handling the money, um, really educating them in how basic accounting and basic finance works. Okay. How, and, how, many, um, how many people you think that was that, that was in all of these different houses that you are helping to educate? The total membership of all the houses is um, around 200. Wow. Okay. And um, so there's um, quite a bit of turnover every year. And so in a given year, going from one year to the next, you might have a um, hundred of those 200 people stay and then a hundred of them move out and a hundred new people come in who are all eager but a little unsophisticated when it comes to proper financial management okay. um, of, their, of their co-ops. I want to add something to what you said, and then we're going to take mm-hmm. our first break here. Okay. Uh, so you said people of that age, you're talking about maybe from 17 at the youngest to 21, 22 oldest, don't understand financial management, and you were using the fifth principle of co-ops, education, training, and information to train. Exactly. Them. Okay. And I just what I wanted to add to that is I have found in my 72 years on this planet that most people don't understand finances <laughs> at any age. Okay. So it's not that's, just that, that cohort point. of young people. <laughs> but one of the things that I've also found with people on this on this radio program for six years is that when they get into co-ops, they have to learn it. And that helps them in every aspect of their life, their own budgets, their own ways of making decisions about whether to spin or not spin and so forth. So that's absolutely true. And and we're going to take our we're going to take our break. Please hold on to that comment and we'll come right back to it right after the break. We'll get the news, the weather and so forth. And we'll be right back to you. is power, and that's why WOL makes a great partner, because the National Co-op Bank sponsoring this program so that we can give you information, information about co-ops, information about what the benefits of co-ops are and where they are so you can go find a co-op or start your own. Get it with a group of people and start your own co-op. And today we have Mr. Brian Dalk, D-A-H-L-K, who's with Wegner's CPAs, W-E-G-N-E-R-S CPAs. And we're talking about his story. We're going on a storyline that he was majoring in biochemistry, got a degree in that, but somehow through his living in a house, student housing co-op with other young people having that responsibility of running a business, running their housing, and they had about 200 people, 200 members in it, so it's not a small business. And uh, he learned about finances and learned about managing in terms he got elected on the board. That means he had to raise his hand and say, I want to be on the board. And then he had to get his fellow 
classmates and peers to vote for him. So he got elected. He found out about this finance thing and said, oh, I like this much more than biochemistry. So he moved over into getting an MBA, a master's in business, and therefore learning about co-ops and worked in that cooperative for nine years as their financial person, teaching other people about it. And take off, Brian, where were you were before we left the break? Yeah, that's a very good summary, Vernon. And we had um, we were just mentioning that um, uh, a lack of financial sophistication is quite common among um, uh, young people without a whole lot of life experience, but it's also fairly common of um, people of all ages. You know, it's not it's not simply the case that when somebody hits the age 30 or so, they instantly absorb um, all this uh, uh, financial knowledge and, um, you know, have all of a sudden uh, newfound financial expertise. We all need, you know, financial training and education to be able to do that well in our either our, our businesses we're a part of and our, our, our lives in general. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely true. All right. So you worked there for nine years. And then where did you go f- from that? How that housing cost? Where did you go next? Yeah, go next that's, that's a good question. I took uh, a diversion and moved to the great state of California. And I lived in um, on the this beautiful West Coast town called Santa Cruz, California. Mm-hmm. And I worked for a nonprofit organization that was um, an advocacy group for people with disabilities. I was their accounting manager. And Vernon, it's an interesting story of how I how I chose Santa Cruz, California, in the first place. When I went back, when I was working for the Madison Community Co-op. Uh, housing organization, I would occasionally take trips to other cities where there were other housing co-ops. And um, one of the places I um, visited was um, Santa Cruz, California, had a couple wonderful housing co-ops. And I um, so I visited them. And actually, one of one of them was one that I, I helped set up back in the late 1990s. And I just thought that, that that whole scene out there was so great that I, I wanted to try living out there for a bit. So the housing co-ops actually were um, um, something that propagated that move. And I actually lived in a housing co-op in Santa Cruz, California, for a while upon moving out there. Well, and then um, uh, I decided to move back I'm, to Wisconsin. I'm sorry, sorry Brian. Okay, Bernie, I'm, yeah. I'm just looking at the map. You went... 2,150 miles west yep. from Madison, you went from this time of year, I don't know, 10 degree weather to 70 degree weather. And you went from, you went right to the ocean. Santa it, Cruz is right on wonderful. the ocean. Right below, right below San Jose. Okay. Yes. Um, yep. I, um, I, when I moved out there, I just put everything that I could fit in my car and uh, took a four, it took me four days to, to drive out to California um, and um, lived um, uh, out there for uh, four and a half years. So and, um, you know, the it's, it's a fantastic uh, place to be, but as I think we all know, it's extremely expensive as well. And um, the if it were a little bit more affordable, I might still be out there. Um, but because it was the, of the high cost of living, I really didn't feel that I could, um, you know, be out there as as a real long term um, prospect. So I came back to Madison. Before you go, uh, what was the name of that uh, uh, housing co-op? Because I may be going to San Francisco and I might want to look them up. Uh, well, sadly, it no longer exists. Oh boy! Okay. Um, it was um, the house they lived in was called Chavez Co-op, um, and and sadly, it no, it's no longer there. But it was a wonderful place while it was in existence. Okay. Um, so I came back to Wisconsin, and um, actually, there's one other interesting point about my time in California. Um, I had. In the, in the course of getting my business degree um, in, in um, the 1990s, I 
realized that, or I did in California, I did some research and I found that I actually didn't have to take to get too many more accounting classes taken before I could become eligible to be to be a CPA. Um, I didn't realize until long after I got my business degree that you don't have to have an accounting degree to be a CPA. And I think that's something a lot of people don't realize. You could have any degree um, as long as you've taken enough accounting courses and have enough accounting credits. And then pass the test. Yeah, and then and then if you have enough accounting credits, you, you are eligible to take the test. And so I I realized I, I did the I added up all the accounting credits I had and I realized hey I only need a few more classes and I am eligible to take the CPA exam. And so I did that in California. And um, it, it's funny about a month before I moved back to Wisconsin. I got the notice that I had passed the CPA exam in California. And so I applied to be a CPA in the state of Wisconsin because I, I knew I was moving back to, to Wisconsin. And um, a couple months later, I got an, um, uh, an offer from Wegner CPAs um, to interview for a job. Okay. And um, I joined Wegner CPAs. It was uh, uh, the year was 2006. So, okay, but I'm going to go back, Brian, and make sure I understand and, the, and, the, and our listeners understand. In order to become a CPA, you have to take so many accounting classes. You don't necessarily have to have a degree in accounting, but you have to take so many accounting classes and then sit for the CPA exam and pass it, and then you are considered yes. a CPA. Okay. Yes. Um, and uh, each state also has varying criteria for how much uh, um, accounting work you need to have done to either like some states might say you have to be working for at an accounting firm for a year or two years. And other states say, no, you don't have to work at an accounting firm, but you have to be ha you have to have had a job that involves accounting for one or two years. So you have to have that um, kind of a real-world professional experience So you the worked, third leg of the stool. Your nine years in the student uh, co-op, you've done financial, which is a lot of accounting. If, yeah. And then and then four and a half years in Santa Cruz, were you you were yep. nonprofit? Were you dealing with finances and accounting there? Yes. Too? Yes. Okay. So I, I listed all those things in my application to, to become a CPA, and um, – that the um, folks who make that decision were apparently satisfied that I had sufficient professional experience. And um, so that was the third leg of the stool, that plus the CPA exam, plus the all, enough accounting classes. And so you so, became um, a CPA, I, a certified public accountant. And what year was that? Uh, 2006. And you and you got this job at Wagner's. Why did you choose Wagner's, and why did they choose you? Um, Wagner's has a um, at the time um, it had a very strong reputation for being um, um, a good uh, nonprofit. Um, auditors and working with the local nonprofit community, um, and that, so that was important to me. I have a um, you know a very um, strong uh, tie to uh, nonprofit, the, the nonprofit uh, movement, and um, several local nonprofit organizations. And um, so I was uh, familiar with them because of the work that they had done in Madison with nonprofits that I was associated with. Um, and at the time, the co-op um, matter was not all that prominent. Um, Wegner CPAs was only working with a few co-ops back in 2006. But I, but one thing when I um, was considering joining Wegner was I knew that they were wanting to do more co-ops, work with more co-ops, and that really intrigued me. 
because um, I, I certainly felt that I, I could play a role in helping Wegner's grow its co-op uh, accounting practice. Okay, I want to stop you there because we're going to take our second break. And so I've gotten you packed your your car. You drove from Madison to Santa Cruz. It took you four days. Stay there for four and a half years. It cost you way too much. Got your accounting, your CPA, and you drove back to Madison. <laughs> okay. Yep, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a good summary of that, that phase of my life. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial, everybody. Talk Station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. And you know that this program has been brought to you. We've been the National Co-op Bank has sponsored us for the six years that we have been doing this program. The National Co-op Bank is was founded in the nineteen eighties, uh, and their mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. So especially in low-income communities, and this is where you will find a lot of African-Americans and Hispanic folk, and so the National Co-op Bank has been working in these communities uh, to provide these different services about co-ops. And we have Brian Dalk on the line with us. Brian got bit by the cooperative spears about the age of 19 when he was living in a student housing cooperative and got on the board and got a chance to have a voice in how that business was run. Uh, what kind of policies will your house have? Most students don't get that. You get into a dorm and you told, here are the rules. You get a book. And in this case, the students decided what those rules would be, and they implemented and held each other accountable for it. And he got bit by this cooperative spirit and about being into business. So then he went to Santa Cruz, came back to Madison, Wisconsin, by 2006, and joined the firm that he's with now from 2006, and that's about 14 years. Um, so that's about, he's got about a 28-year experience working nine years, four and a half, and then now 14 years. So, Brian, what have you been doing? Okay, wait, before I do that, mm -hmm. you have said that you have a sort of a social conscience. You want to you want to work with businesses that have a mission of social, even like National Co-op Bank, working mm -hmm. with folks in low-income communities. And so your heart was toward nonprofit community, and that's why one of the reasons you went there. Um, but when I looked up uh, Wagner's core values, they seem to have a social, uh, well, not a social bent. It seems to be very social. And um, to, to speak to it, it says doing the right thing is what core uh, auditors are talking mm -hmm. about doing the right thing and putting people <laughs> first. Yes, we are. Um, we um, don't, and, and I think this really goes back to um, what we were a topic we were discussing earlier. We um, are a group of accountants that um, doesn't just try to make sure that people are following the rules and um, pointing out when, when people do things wrong. We want to work with people to. Um, make their organizations um, um, as good as they can be, um, helping them achieve their mission, um, working with them to um, provide um, you know, financial education and help them um, educate them on some of the what we call best practices for um, doing accounting and doing their setting up their financial processes. Um, we really want to have ourselves um, seen as an ally of the organizations we work with. Um, not just somebody, it's not just a, uh, a firm that people hire just because um, they have to hire uh, an accounting firm to get, you know, to, to, to be compliant in some particular area. 
and and I, I think that most of the people here who actually do um, um, the accounting work along with me uh, really buy into that mission too. Um, and as a result, Wegner has had a very low turnover in its in our accounting staff compared to most other firms. If you look at most other firms, um, the the turnover among accounting staff is around the range of 30% a year or so. And, and that varies quite a bit depending mm-hmm. on the size of the firm, but, but 30% is, is fairly common. And we um, usually average um, uh, less than 5% turnover per year. Wow. And I think that's because people here really enjoy um, being, um, you know, working with good organizations that have that are doing good work and, and trying to help them um, with that work and, and fulfilling their benevolent missions. So I get uh, doing the right thing is we believe in the golden rule. I'm reading from your webpage and yes. doing what is right for our clients and employees and yes. putting people first. Uh, we believe in treating others as we'd like to be treated. That's the golden rule. We strive to provide continuous education and encourage in- intellectual growth. Uh, and providing relationship-driven services. So, I, I, yeah, I just think that's awesome, particularly, and I don't know if you know this, uh, but uh, the common thread between what looks like all religions, all spirituality is this golden rule. Yeah. And Christianity says, as we, as you would that men should do to you, you also do that to them likewise. Yes, I I, I totally agree that that's um, that's a common thread of all all religions, and um, that's it, it's and it, it, not just religious, but I, I think that that is one of the fundamental basis of of being a, a really good decent human being is the golden rule, and um, you know if if we all were to keep that more in the forefront of our mind as we go about our our lives i I think that you know that's that helps make the the world a good place so whether it's islam or judaism or buddhism or unitarian or native americans that's my baha mormons it doesn't make any difference and i like what you said though is that it seems to be the basis of human beingness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what makes us human? Yeah, yeah. And human in the, in the best sense of the word, in the most optimistic, um, the positive sense of the word of, of of what it means to be human. And so, this is not what I would expect from an accounting firm. <laughs> when I, okay. Yeah, well, me neither. Back in my younger days, I didn't really um, have any um, inkling that you could tie the an accounting firm or the accounting profession to some of these concepts. But I'm sure glad that um, you really can make that connection because it certainly has made my job a lot. Um, uh, more more um, positive and enjoyable. Okay, now you're getting to the question I'll ask you later. But is what do you do you like what you're doing? But before that one, um, <laughs> if you look at the co-op values, and it sort of all mm-hmm. fit. It, co-ops are based on the values of self-help, self-responsibility, democracy, mm-hmm. equality, equity, and solidarity. And but I like that the the. the Et, the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. So in there, this caring for others, being honest, being open, sharing, communicating, it's all around the golden rule. So that's Absolutely. Right in there. Absolutely. And um, that's, that's um, when it gets down to it, I, I didn't really, I don't know if I've ever really thought about it exactly in those terms, but those 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 um those basic concepts are what has always drawn me to the co-op movement since I was you know that 19 20 year old um back in college and I first got my first taste of co-ops and have been um bitten by the co-op bug ever since it, it really goes back to those things that are inherent in um what a, what a co-op 
uh, is and um, what it's um, supposed to be all about. Um, those those principles and um, and I think that um, you know many people who um, don't really know about what a co-op is and and then end up getting involved somehow either through a housing co-op or some other kind of co-op business um, a lot I I would guess a a large percentage of of, um, individuals come to the same realization that the co-op that this co-op thing isn't just a different business model but it encompasses a lot of really fantastic values that um, are you know really positive things about what what it means to be human yep what does it mean to be him helping wanting the same thing for your neighbor that you want for yourself yes yes Okay. And in the and in the meantime, if we if we all if we do have that collectively, and it turns out to be a good, it turns out to make good business sense. That's just you know an extra benefit. We get the good business, and we get the the good um, um, uh, human values that are encompassed in that all at the same time. Yeah, talk about a win-win. Win, 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 because that also helps the community you're in, that helps the world when you're doing those kinds of things. And what I, what I want to point out real quickly, though, is in your 1990s, early 91, 92, you learned about co-ops. You were 19. I learned about them almost the same time in about 1994, but I was mm-hmm. 46 and you were 19. So there's um, some some little difference there. <laughs> okay, I wish I could have learned about co-ops at 19. Uh, it would have been. Hey, it's never too late, though. Yeah, never too late. Now I got bit by the bug as I watch everyday people without a degree make very intelligent decisions and could understand these financial principles that we talk about. Okay, so that this is, is this is Wagner's, and we got this core value and and what you're doing. Um, so in the audit, what is an audit as a CPA? What is, what is that? Um, yeah, and, and that, that's, uh, it's, it's good that we were talking about this because a lot of people really don't grasp what an audit is. Um, the, uh, the financial, um, records of an organization and that includes a co-op are maintained by the management of the of the co-op, and what an audit is is it is it involves an independent professional coming in, independent financial professional coming in and examining the financial records and um, giving some assurance to the board of directors and in a co-op to the board of directors and the members that the financial um, information is. Um, materially correct and um if there are um any um major instances suspected instances of uh malfeasance such as a uh, fraud or embezzlement the um auditor has a responsibility to inform the um board of directors of their findings so if you're a if you're a, a member or especially a, a part of the board of directors of a co-op, um, an audit really has the benefit of giving you some assurance that management is uh, maintaining the books uh, properly, and um, so you can sleep better at night knowing that your business um, is being um, at least at least the financial aspect is being taken care of appropriately. Okay, so we're getting ready to take our next break, but you use some words like malfeasance, and I just have it that nobody's taking any money. That's that's how yeah. I have it, that, <laughs> that, that nobody's saying, okay, the money should be in the treasury of the co-op or of the business of the housing co-op or whatever other co-op it is, but I'm going to take some of that money and put it over here in my checking account or yeah. to buy my car or take a vacation or whatever one would want to take um, and sometimes I found that people will make bad choices because they're in a bad situation. Uh, a family member is really bad or sick, and they have to have money to 
take care of the medical bills and so that they will do things that are bad. So the whole financial system is to keep honest people honest is how correct. I view it. Okay, it's not that is, that is correct. Not necessarily that you say, I think you are a bad person and you will steal from me is that when and if you have a bad situation and you have to make a choice, don't come here trying to get it out of the the till of this business that, that either I'm managing or have some oversight on. And there might be some better ways of doing it. And if it's a good co-op, folks can come to the co-op board and say, I have this problem. Can you help? Because it's people helping each other. I yes, got, that I, is exactly that's the correct channel to, to take those issues to. I got, we're going to take our break and then we'll be right back. And we only have another 12 or 15 minutes. This has been great, Brian. It's great. We'll be right back. Everybody, this is Vernon Oaks, and we have Brian Dalk on the phone with us uh, this morning. He is an accountant, an auditor, and he explained to us what an audit is, and that's mainly making sure that nobody takes any money. But you also said, Brian, that you want to be in a partnership. Um, I don't know if you use that word, but that's what I got with in, with the people that you are auditing, the organizations that you serve, so you can also help them figure out. Uh, if they're doing things right, if there's good governance and good management. So what is mm-hmm. good governance? How do you how do you look and see if the board is doing what they're supposed to be doing? Well, um, at, at the very high level, you want to make, you want to make sure that the board is um, doing things that are in the best interests of the organization and they're not doing things that, um, number one, they're not doing things in their own personal best interests. That's definitely a a violation of one of the duties. You have to be doing, you have to be looking out for the organization, the co-op as a whole. That's called duty of loyalty. That's right. No, no conflict of interest. You make the decision with best for the group. I said what best for everybody, not for individual. That's right. And, um, um, in in um, pr- pursuing that um, goal, you re- the, a board member um, really needs to um, take the time to um, understand all the information and all the facts and circumstances that that they're faced with when they are um, uh, discussing and voting on various issues that come before them. Um, it's it's you know. N- uh, a good member is always a good board member is always prepared at a board meeting. They've done their work to understand the issues they're faced with, and um, if they don't understand things, they ask questions. So that one talks about the duty of care: take care of the corporation yeah. by ensuring prudent use of all of the assets, facility, people, goodwill, money, all of that. They're making good decisions. Uh, yes, absolutely, and um, and. One of the things too is um, you, the, a board member of a co-op, has to take two big things into account. They have to take into account what they personally feel is in the um, best interests of the organization as a whole, and they have to take into account uh, what their um, how, how their members feel about a certain thing, mm-hmm. um, because you you are. You're representing the members that elected you on the board, but you're also um, you also have to um, do what you feel is is right for the organization's best interests in the long run. Um, so you have to to take both those things into account. That gets to the loyalty again, I believe. That sort of fits under that one. Yes. And the only other one is that they have to follow the laws of the land and the bylaws. Yep, the duty of obedience. You've gotta, you can't just do, even if you think something is good for the co-op, you can't just do it if it's in violation of something that you really shouldn't be violating. So I, um, I, I would tell board that I manage these, I manage housing co-ops. That for anybody out there that don't know it, I'd say boards, you follow your bylaws. If there's something that you want to do that's outside your bylaws, assuming what you want to do is within the laws, the federal laws and the state laws and county laws, and you want to change change your bylaws. Don't just go do it. 
There's a procedures on how you change your bylaws. So what you're doing is in line with all of the laws. Yes. Yep. And and almost all bylaws will have in the bylaws itself um, some a statement about how the bylaws can be changed. Yep. yep. So follow the, that that pro, those proper uh, mechanisms. So in your audit, how do you how do you have to find out if co-op boards are doing the duty of care, duty of loyalty, and duty of obedience? How do you? Figure well, the, the, I don't think there's any specific procedure. We do. It's more of um, when we do an audit, we're not just looking at the actual numbers. We're um, taking a look um, at the whole organic organization. We're um, talking to people. We're talking to people who are part of management and part of the board and asking them about, you know, just, just getting a feel for uh, what's going on and how they're making their decisions. And we do we do a lot of um, reading of the board minutes to understand what the board is, is deciding and voting on and how they're making those decisions. Um, so we're, we're getting involved in, um, in, in, in evaluating the governance of the organization. And many times we can kind of see or many times we, we can get a, a pretty good feeling of whether a co-op is – a co-op board is doing a good job in um, following all of its duties, and when it maybe is um, a little shaky in the in those areas, <laughs> a little shaky. And, I got it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so we um, we as part of an audit, we don't just issue an audit report that says these are your financial statements. We we do that, but we also usually issue an accompanying um, letter that gives our recommendations for how things can be improved. And if if part of that improvement involves suggestions about the co-op governance, we will put that in the letter and say, um, you know, these are some things that we strongly encourage you to consider implementing um, to make your co-op um, even better. So when I've read those letters, it, it's twofold. It's to tell the management what some things suggest and what they could do, maybe to tighten up their processes to make sure that nobody can take or do something wrong mm-hmm. and uh, whatever procedures are happening. And also to say to the board, here's some things that you can do to improve the ways in which you are doing things. Exactly. Yes. And so, and there, there isn't any, any hardcore rule about, um, a, a, you know, a certain, a certain amount or, or portion of that letter should be addressed to the board and a certain portion should be addressed to management functions. It's, it's an art to um, evaluating the co-op as an organic um, is, is an organic entity and determining um, what the recommendations should be and who should and which parties should have the focus of which recommendations. Fantastic. Now, uh, very quickly, I got there four types of co-ops. You got it. If a co-op is owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker co-op. If it's mm-hmm. owned and controlled by the people that use the products and services, it's called a consumer co-op. And in the consumer co-op, you have credit unions and housing co-ops, which we've talked about. You could have in Madison, where you're at, there's a clinic, a health clinic that is owned by the patients. It's just a consumer co-op. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm fin- I'm really wanting to go and see how that works. Then you have a purchasing co-op. Um, farmers use those as the main place, but I'm beginning to find that there's other. There's one here in D.C. called CPA Community Purchasing Allowance that was started for nonprofits. Yeah, uh, and we work with them. Oh, okay. And so they they, they it is a fantastic, phenomenal organization. Um, yes, they are. We've had a couple, two or three of those people that work there and. Paul Hazen, who helped us started to be on this program to talk about it. Uh, and so that's one side. And farmers would get together and say, OK, we need seed and fertilizer and gas and equipment. And they would pool their resources. But it start a company that got experience in all of these things so they could get a better product for a lower price. They buy in bulk. And then on the other end of the farm, they get this stuff and they produce whatever they produce. And then they have a marketing co-op. That's the fourth type. And some people call them producer co-ops. 
and that all of your dairy farmers would send the, the, their, they would be members of this co-op. This is another business that have the expertise of how to market these things, whether it's cranberries and ocean spray, uh, or if it's dairy and cabbage creamery or organic valley, or was it, um, I'm trying to think of the sardine, um, Company, but anyway, no matter what it is, or peanuts, or whatever they're producing, then these these organizations, marketing firms, will market those and get them to different markets that the particular farmer could not reach, uh, and therefore they would make more money and it would take away some of the risk of farming. So those are your four types. Mm-hmm. Which ones do you work with? Um, we work a lot with the consumer co-ops, and um, that is. Um, there, there are two big subsectors for us. There's the housing co-ops, mm-hmm. which um, you know we have been discussing. That's a huge part of my own background. And as a matter of fact, that that housing co-op that I first started out in when I was um, in college, um, just last night I went um, to their uh, board meeting and presented their audit, um, our, our, our audit of, of their uh, financial statements uh, to that very same group. So I have, still have that connection. Uh, and you got you got to quicken it up because we only have about a minute and a half left. So you got Very housing good. co-ops and consumers. Yep, housing co-ops. Um, and the other big kind of consumer co-op we we work with is the food co-ops, in which the people who um, shop there can join and become members. So you can become an owner of the um, of the grocery store that you shop at. Mm-hmm. And um, worker co-ops, we do a lot of work with them. Um, that's you know the People who run the business are also the people who own the business. And, um, for example, there's a nice uh, taxi cab co-op here in Madison called Union Cab, where the cab drivers collectively own the cab company. And um, the the other one is uh, the the purchasing co-ops, where businesses can come together and purchase things collectively um, and um, uh, save a lot of uh, money and costs that way. Last 30 seconds, Brian, what's the message you'd like to leave people with? Um, I just love co-ops, both personally and professionally. They are an excellent way to, to do what I call economic democracy. Okay. And it's, it's very empowering. And it, it really does involve those um, almost spiritual. Got um, we got to go. I got it. I got it. I love it. Thank you very much, Brian. Sorry to cut you off when you're in there with the spiritual piece. We'll see you everybody next week. Please live cooperatively. 